Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my pleasure to have Dave Gerhardt, the VP of Marketing at Drift on the show. Welcome, Dave. Hey, what's up, Jeremy? Thank you for having me. And uh, what's up, everybody listening, wherever you are podcasting right now. In, in podcast land, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure every website you go to has uh, the Drift chatbot on there. But if you're not familiar with Drift and didn't realize the chatbot is probably Drift powered, Drift is a company that connects your sales team now via your website with their future customers. Our topic for the day is going to be effectively nobody wants to be sold to, yet all of us have to go in every day and try to try to sell to these people. So we're going to take that down some interesting avenues that will probably bring us into the land of social psychology as well. So with that, love to hear what's your favorite sales book of all time and why. I'll give you two because I can't just give you one. Number one is not specifically a sales book, but it's a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini, which I'm sure that you've read because you're talking about books. For me, that's the number one sales book because he talks about the six principles of influence, basically the six ingrained behaviors that impact how people make decisions. And I don't think that you can effectively market or sell anything without understanding them, like the liking principle, the power of social proof and reciprocity. It's a book that will change the way that you think. So you got to read that if you're in sales. And then the other one is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Just a great, like it was written in 2007, but I think it's a book that probably has been true for decades and hundreds of years. And it's, it's just a great book about like, what actually is the point of sales? How does sales work? And he does things like, you know, in a world where everybody's talking about things like account-based marketing, he talks about every business needs their dream 100, your dream 100 list of customers you want to sell to. And you can go from there. I love that book, even as a marketing person. Yeah, both great books. And I know with those dream 100 customers, it's something that you, a lot of people give up on accounts very quickly. And you got to keep those dream 100 customers adding value, adding value, adding value, because sometimes they take a very long time to come around. He also has something in that book that says like 93% of people are not ready to buy right now, right? And if you think about that, that really grounds you and you're thinking of like, okay, but how many sales and marketing people operate that way? right? Most of us think like, well, no, no, no. I'm talking to Jeremy. He's on my demo. Like, of course, I got to get him to buy now because it's the end of Q3 and I got to get this deal in. Despite the fact that 93% of people are not ready to buy right now. It's a great book. I was actually thinking about that recently that, you know, there's all these outbound sales efforts. And in the outbound sales effort, I mean, I get a lot of people who try to sell me stuff. I'm sure you have a lot of people sell you stuff. You know, if you think about the last thing you actually bought, were you in receptive mood? Did you go out to them? How did that happen for you? Honestly, the last couple of things that I've bought from a business perspective, it always has started with there's some type of pain. And it's amazing to see like the power of pain in the sales process where like, we had a writer leave. We're in a jam for some content that we need. Oh, there's this great, you know, agency that can help us create content. Like that's a call that you make and you can write a five, 10, 15, $20,000 check in a week because that's a real pain and a very clear need and a use case. I think most of the things that, that we've bought have some flavor of that. And I think that's the really hard part from a sales and marketing perspective is like, you can't always manufacture pain. You ha- it has to be there and then people have to be thinking of you. So the way that I buy things is I think we might need blah or somebody on the team says we might need blah. Then I text a couple other marketing leaders that I know and say, Hey, is anybody using this? Have you, do you have any experience with this? And they're like, Oh yeah, we used it at my last company. We love it. We hate it. Blah, blah, blah. Or, and then I'll go and post on LinkedIn or Twitter. 
hey, we're looking for, you know, we need help with, with some, uh, you know, tracking and reporting on social. Anybody have any good recommendations for vendors out there? Then get a bunch of comments on that post and see kind of like what people that I trust and respect in the industry are using. Then I would like go to their website, do all the research on my own, watch videos, listen to podcasts, read content, figure out how much it costs and what the buying process would be. Then after gathering all of that information, then I would reach out and say, hey, I'd like to get a demo or whatever the ask is. And honestly, I then try to control as much of that process as I can because usually know what we want. And I know this is like difficult for salespeople to hear, but like the hardest part as a buyer is I want to set the agenda as a buyer. And I know that not all buyers are like that. Like there's a product that I'm thinking about buying right now and do a demo and do a call with a rep and I can't even get a word in on the call. And it's like, okay, hey, here's my agenda for the next 30 minutes. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this, which is clearly some process that the sales team management has given every rep and the calls are being recorded. And so you need to track it. But like that just flies in the face of everything that I told you about how I got to that point. I've already, I'm already so well informed, right? Whether it's accurate or not. And, and there's so much data around this. Like there's a Harvard Business Review study that basically says three quarters of all B2B purchases today involve limited interaction with salespeople and that we do all of our information gathering before talking to someone. So in that scenario, get all the information, then hop on a call and usually have a couple specific questions that I would like somebody to walk me through before actually making the buying decision. There were three kind of main things that can be horrifying to salespeople in a way, right? One is you said you had known pain. Two is you said you basically did all the research in advance and you're so well informed coming into it. And then three is when you actually got in the deal cycle, you want to control the deal. So let's talk about those things separately. You made a passing comment that was, you cannot always manufacture pain. And yet, I would presume your sales training, as most sales training and enablement organizations do, and, and like all the different stuff that's out there says, like you have to get in there and people might have a surface need, but you actually have to turn that into pain. Or maybe you have to sell something they don't realize they have the pain. I'd love to hear your perspective on that because your buying pattern is like my buying pattern. I have a known pain. I don't, it's not just a need. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can create pain, but I think you can like turn a light on in a room and show somebody something that they didn't know was an issue, right? I think the way that you do that is by truly being an expert in the thing that you're selling as a rep today, right? I think that there's too much noise in sales and marketing has gotten too hard that if like you don't actually know what you're talking about, you're not going to be able to sell anything effectively today, right? As consumers, we wouldn't put up with that. Like my wife and I, we just had our second kid and so we had to buy a new car with more room. We did all of our research and walked into the dealership and I don't know anything about cars, but I didn't want to spend all day there and I didn't want to be sold to. So I said, hey, we're down to these two options. Here's what we can afford. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we want to do it. And we want to drive off the lot with this thing today. And I needed an expert because I don't like being sold to. It's kind of like, you ever go to the doctor and they're like, you get kind of like gray advice from them. They're like, well, you know, it could be this and it could be that. So you could do this or you could do that. I mean, no, I'm coming to you because I want a definitive answer. Tell me to do this or not do this, right? Tell me to take this or not take this. And I think in sales, you need to have that level of knowledge and expertise today. It doesn't mean that if you're a sales rep at a cybersecurity company that you have to know cybersecurity like an IT person would, right? But you need to be able to be like a tour guide or a concierge who can go find all those right answers and then help me make the connection. On the expertise thing, how do you think salespeople should and can become expert in their product, given the fact that I know the average tenure for a CRO now, it varies by the number of months, but call it two years, right? 
and I've noticed with salespeople as well, the average tenure is probably not all that different. It probably is about two years. So how do you how do you go from join a company, become an expert, able to sell within whatever it is, ramp time, three to six months? The non-sexy answer is like you have to put in the work, right? Like why why should you think that you're just gonna like be able to sell and hit quota and make 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 200 thousand dollars a year, whatever it is, and not have put in the work to understand what you're selling, right? That's like why people don't like sales, right? Because like you don't actually know anything and it's all fake, but you're gonna hit your number and do really well. Like we live in a world where it's 2019, information is free. We have Kindle, physical books, podcasts, YouTube, there's online classes and courses. Like there is no excuse. You can become an expert in almost anything today. And so I think like, yeah, sure. It's the combination of like your company and your company has to do a great job with onboarding reps and sales enablement and all that stuff. But you can also go above and beyond by putting in the work yourself and putting in the education. And my guess is that your company exists for a reason that the founders started this company and you're joining as a sales rep because the founders had some vision and they believe passionately about the product and they think there's enough market opportunity there. And if you can hire any volume of sales reps, you probably have some revenue number or have some funding where you can, you know, like there's other people besides yourself that are betting on the industry. You know, it's not like you're just showing up as some rogue salesperson being like, I think I can sell this thing. It's like, no, no, no. The founders started the company for a reason. The investor invested in the product for a reason. Like there's something there. And so there's going to be an established market. Now your job is to figure out how you can quickly become an expert or close to an expert in that market and figure out how to get people the information that they need to be successful. Something I think a lot about is what does it mean to be, you know, quote unquote expert when you're selling into people who presumably should know their industry and their business better than you could possibly know? Like, think about that for a second, right? Like, okay, I don't have the most experience in the world, but as a VP of marketing, I have, you know, a decade of experience in marketing. And yet most of the companies that are trying to sell to me, they're doing that with a 23-year-old BDR fresh out of school. No offense to that person, but do we expect that person to know more about marketing than me? I would not expect so, right? And so they can understand how the company can help me solve that problem and become a sponge and say, look, I'm not pretending to be an expert, but I'm a waiter at this restaurant and I know what dishes are good and and I know what most people like you do. And so let me help and go get those things and bring them to your table, do you know? an author I was talking to, I was challenging him on this notion also. And he said, look, you don't have to deliver an insight on a trend that they don't already know. You need to be able to understand the consequences of that trend. And you need to be able to, where appropriate, tie that to solutions. And hopefully, <laughs> by design, some of those solutions are your solutions. But to be able to follow that path is what it means to be an expert. And you know, the other thing is like, there was like a line that I heard or read somewhere. And it's basically like, Every interaction in the sales process tells you how the next interaction is going to be. If the process to request a demo is brutal, then the demo is going to be brutal, right? If the conversation with the BDR is brutal, then the AE is not going to treat you much better. Even if that's true or not, like that's just the perception. And so I think the other way you can compete is by building a brand, both personally and as a company, that make people want to go and work with you. And so position yourself as a brand that people might want to work with. Then when somebody does have that pain and does see that light, guess who they're going to turn to, right? They're going to come find you. On the build a brand piece, that's another one that I think is a non-obvious thing. And some people I've talked to have said, 
look, if you're a salesperson, you should be selling and the brand building should be done by, you know, marketing or by executives or what have you, right? Like you should not be creating content as a salesperson to build a brand. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that because I think like anybody that I work with in my personal life, I'm going to look them up. That's kind of how we all operate, right? Especially if it's not a transactional sale, if it's more of a considered purchase. And so like if I go to LinkedIn and I see that the rep that I'm talking to has no headshot there and no bio and I can't even find them there, then that's going to be like instantly like, wait a second, this person is trying to sell me this $50,000 thing and they don't even have a LinkedIn profile where like... If I was a rep today, I would just be all over LinkedIn making videos and posting content that has nothing to do with my company, but showing people that like I love my craft and I care a lot about sales because then when I go and interact with somebody that I want to sell to, they're going to see like, oh, this person like clearly loves what they do. They've given a lot of thought. They are an expert in sales. Even if they're earlier in their career, this is the world that they live in. The hard part about this is like not everyone's going to want to do that then that means like that's the missed opportunity for them. Like I don't expect everyone to like absolutely love creating content and, and especially like showing how passionate you are about sales. But like, I do think that's the opportunity where like the top 1% of reps are doing that. And that's the mindset that I would take to sales if I had to. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think there are some lighter ways to do it. For instance, you don't have to necessarily write original content. You can just curate, pull snippets out, just try to quote other sources with, with source attribution. Yeah. Like what if somebody's play was just literally listening to your podcast and all they did was just basically take content from this podcast and post it right with their commentary. Like, Hey, just listen to this podcast with so-and-so super interesting. They talked about blah. I've had that come up every day since I started and boom, that's a great post. Easy. The other hard part is like, we're having a conversation about like in a world where people don't want to be sold to, how do you stack the deck? And the hard part is like a lot of these answers, people don't want to hear them. And they don't want to do it. They don't want to put in the work, but they're also not satisfied with the results, right? Of like their current efforts. And so that's where things get broken for me because it's like, wait, if something's not working, but like we're telling you these things that are like not in your wheelhouse and might feel uncomfortable, but you're not willing to go try to do any of that. I'm not sure like how to help you, right? I have this conversation with people daily. Hey, what's something that I could do to like stand out as a sales rep? And I tell them, I would just own LinkedIn and I would become like one of the people in my industry for sharing sales content. Like you don't need to be uh, John Barrows. I'm not asking you to become John Barrows overnight, right? That guy's put in the work and he's become a sales trainer and he's done a lot of great stuff. But like, could you be the John Barrows of like a two mile radius in Boston? And would that help your career? Yes, probably. Like you could own that opportunity. Okay, but uh, I'm not really comfortable posting content on LinkedIn. And I'm like, you have to be willing to do it. That's all it comes down to. You know, we talked about those three things, the like known pain that you had when you're in your own buying process. The research thing I think you hit on already, right? Which is you're doing a ton of research. You're also asking your network for recommendations. So I think we covered that one pretty well. The one we didn't talk about was the fact that you as a buyer want to control the deal. Is there a tension during the, during the discovery or the demo calls that you do? Yeah, sometimes because I think some of it is like, if I don't take them through this process and then this deal doesn't close and like, I'm going to end up getting dinged because like, if we go back and look at this later and we say, well, why didn't we get drift as a customer? Well, we didn't go through the process. Right. And so I respect the process, but here's what I wish happened. Hey, Dave, look, I appreciate you taking the call. Um, I just have a question to be honest with you. Like we have 30 minutes today, but like, why would a busy person like you, like why on earth would you take 30 minutes out of your day to get a demo of something, you know, I'm going to try to sell to you. 
And if you let that breathe, what you just asked me is like, hold on, Dave, you just agreed to get on this call for 30 minutes to like, let me try to sell you something in a world where nobody wants to be sold to. Well, let's both admit that. So what do you want to get out of this? Now we've shen framed the whole conversation around expectations and they might have a different path than like to get me five pages deep into their app and show me how everything works in the product. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, you, you really only have limited opportunities to talk to a, you know, VP plus level person, especially a CXO level person, and you need to come in to them with value. So I, I'll, I'll challenge, I guess, your statement by saying like one approach, which I do like, by the way, is to go in and say, hey, why did you take this meeting? And just let them open up about it. I, I do like that. But my challenge would be, you know, maybe if they're coming in to, you know, talk to you or, you know, your CEO, David, maybe they needed to have done of their homework to figure out like what's likely to be on David's mind. You know, as you've sat in meetings with him where people are pitching him, yeah. what does he expect? I mean, he expects people to have done their homework, right? Like to get 30 minutes of a CEO's time and with a guy who's very active on social and, and other places to walk into that and not know what he tweeted six minutes before the meeting would be crazy, right? And so not put him on the spot and ask questions like, now, David, and if we did that for your business, can we agree that would be a good thing? You know, like not to use some of the kind of really very traditional classic kind of sales questioning and to really just like figure out like, why did he take this call? what is important, what would success look like, and then try to like figure out how you can map what you have to offer to, to what he's going through. There's an authenticity component, right? The homework, which is do your knowledge about what's on that person's mind based on their own activity. But I think also what's on their mind based on talking to, you know, you or your peers within the company, right? That, that you come in with a knowledge. And I would imagine David Cancel would not want to be answering discovery questions during that 30 minutes. No, definitely not. And honestly, I would say it would be a shock if he ever got on a call. I think most execs, they let their team do the buying. I did an interview with the CMO of SurveyMonkey uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her how she buys. It's like similar question that you asked me. And she said, I actually don't buy. She's like, I have a team of 90 people and I have people that work on my team and I have full trust in them and the budget. And so I'm going to ask them why they spent $100,000 on whatever, but I have full trust in them in the buying process. They do the buying. And I think that you'll see a lot of execs, and I'm sure you see this today, that that's how they buy. Yeah. I just think you said uh, something that has not yet been said on the podcast that today's CXO may sign or may need to give a nod of their head in a meeting where the salesperson is not there, but they are not buying. Let's say someone's trying to sell to you guys and I mean, they know that ultimately David Cancel is going to have to nod his head. Is there anything a salesperson can do to influence him? Yeah, for sure. I think social proof and credibility goes a long way. If you can show David how two or three of our biggest competitors or companies in our industry that are wildly successful, like go to the Forbes Cloud 100 list, right? Who's the number one company on that list? Let's say maybe it's like a Twilio or something, right? Or ServiceNow. If you take a company like that and you say to him, did you know that they are using this to do that? Then he's like, oh yeah, I want to be a $10 billion company. Like, okay, teach me the playbook. You know, if you come to him with, with other examples of some companies that are like not well-established and he's never heard of, he's going to be like, uh, this is not right for me, right? But if you start talking about three, four, five other companies that are related in the space, you can really quickly kind of get in his head, right? Like, Every CEO knows the four or five industry leaders. And so if you can tell them some other way, whether you've solved their problem or not, or if you know something about that business, I think that's one easy way to get inside of his head. If you could have the peer 
executive of your customer just talk to the peer executive of the prospect, sometimes easier said than done, right? That's going to have a, a huge impact. And by the way, those peers may talk very, very little about your product. That might be two minutes. What they really are talking about is just talking about their business and best practices and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. This is actually a cold email that I responded to and I actually booked a demo. So this guy emailed me and he said, Hey Dave, can you tell me who is responsible for driving demand to your marketing events? We drive attendance for Google, Salesforce, Oracle, and Microsoft, and I'm trying to find the right person to connect with. All of a sudden, do you know what went through my head when I read that email? I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because we're trying to scale our events to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people, right? So he hit me with basically the social proof email and that worked. In a nutshell, that is how I would pitch execs, which is like, they're working with all these companies that we would like to be like, and uh, they use us to do blank. Okay, I'll take that call. Were you also thinking about that as a team? Like, were you doing event planning at that minute? Yeah, it was perfect timing. It was about a week after our big event, Hypergrowth, had ended. And so we're already starting to think about where we go next. And so the timing of the email was great. But he didn't say, like, how was Hypergrowth? Was it good? Honestly, I think a lot of reps might have written the email like, hey, Dave, looked like Hypergrowth was great, but I bet you it could be even bigger and we can help. You don't like that? Because that's personalization, right? It's personalization, but it's assuming that like we want it to be bigger and it's kind of like putting me immediately on the defensive. Like, what do you mean salesperson? Like, you think this event could be bigger? Do you know how much effort it took to get this done, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. his email did all the talking for him. We drive attendance for Google, Salesforce, Oracle, and Microsoft. Like, okay, I'm interested. Yeah, by the way, and like it's top of mind for me too. I'm not even in, you know, in marketing anymore, but we're in the midst of planning for our, our own event. It used to be called Rainmaker. We call it Rev now. And yeah, that's top of mind for us. So I might actually connect with you after this, which is exactly how this happens, right? Which is like that one prospecting email into you got your meeting and then you're going to get the meeting. You're going to vet that person. I'm probably not going to check in with you until after you talk to them because that will save me the effort. So yeah, and it snowballs and hopefully in a positive way from there. For sure. It was awesome uh, chatting with you. You're every bit as knowledgeable as I expected from all the, the social activity I've seen you kind of all over. If people do want to learn more about Drift or if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm at Dave Gerhart everywhere on, on social. You can also email me DG at Drift if you just were like, hey, I thought that was great or you're an idiot. Uh, email me and then Drift is everywhere, drift.com. You know, if you're interested, you'll go check it out. I don't need to go give you the hard sell. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 